Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to the fifth season of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is Miracles Do Happen, and we have a great show planned for you today. Over one in a hundred babies are born with a congenital heart defect. What happens after these babies are born? How many of them survive childhood? With advances in medical technology, improved surgical techniques and follow-up care, and a vast array of drugs and assist devices, more and more children are surviving not only their childhood, but into adulthood. Today's show deals with one such survivor who has not only survived, but chosen to lead a life of service to others. Thanks to the trials and tribulations Catherine has survived, she is an empathetic soul who strives to give back to others. Today's show, The Miracle of Giving Back, features Catherine Scavone. Catherine Scavone is a 28-year-old special education teacher who has undergone four open-heart surgeries, including a pulmonary valve replacement in 2012. She has worked in special education for six years. She has also served as a new teacher mentor, presented at conferences, served as grade chair, and sponsor of Buddies Club. Catherine's mother, also a teacher, gave her a love of teaching. However, she wanted to work with students with special needs and those who have medical conditions. Catherine understands her students' needs and relates to their parents who are concerned for their children. As a child, Catherine played competitive soccer. She attended the University of Georgia and received the Sidney May Taylor Scholarship. This past winter, she graduated with her master's degree from Graceland University in mild and moderate intellectual disabilities, and she also married her husband, Max. They're in the process of building their first home and can't wait to start their lives in a new city. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the show, and what an exciting time of life for you. You just finished your master's, and you've gotten married, and now you're ready to start a new life with a new house. Oh, my goodness, you must be so stressed out. You know, my parents always say I take too much on, and I do it all at once, but I'm very excited to move into our new home, and hopefully we'll have it furnished by the time we move in. Well, that would be good. (laughs) That would be really good because it helps to have a chair to sit on or a bed to sleep in. But this is such an exciting time for you. So do you already have a job or is that something else that's new for you? I actually got a job in a new district in April. So I will be only like a 15-minute drive for our new house. So here in the south, we start school really early. So I actually start next week. (laughs) 
Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm so lucky you came on the show when you did because now you have a little bit of time. I'm really curious, Catherine, when your parents discovered that you actually had a congenital heart defect and what prognosis they were given. I was born an identical twin, and back then they didn't do ultrasounds as much as they do now. So my parents really had no idea that I had a congenital heart defect. My sister and I were born via C-section, and of course in this operating room there is a full set of doctors. There's Mm -hmm. about 12 people in there, including a pediatrician. So I was the first one born, and when I was born, I was born that blue baby syndrome. I was just completely Mm -hmm. blue. And then I was given oxygen, and they actually transported me immediately to the children's hospital in Atlanta. So my mom had to stay at the hospital where we were born at, which is about an hour away, with my identical twin sister. So she only got to see me in passing as they whisked me away. And they really told my yeah, it was really tough on my mom. So they told my parents that they thought it was a pulmonary heart defect, but until they got more testing done, they really couldn't confirm it. So my dad came to stay with me in the hospital, and the day after I was born, they did a heart cast on me, and I did have pulmonary atresia and also an underdeveloped left ventricle. So really, they couldn't give us a prognosis until surgery. So they waited a few more days till I ate, became a little bit stronger, and I was admitted to the ICU where I stayed for almost the first three weeks of my life. Oh, your poor mom. Yes, it was very difficult, but luckily her parents came to stay with us, so they lived with us the first six months after my sister and I were born to help her and juggle between the hospitals. And poor baby Catherine, here you were in a <laughs> womb with a buddy for nine months, and then all of a sudden you're whisked away from all those sounds that you were used to, your mother's heartbeat, your sister. I just can't even imagine that. I mean, wow. So was your mother able to come up to the hospital after she was discharged and bring your twin? She was able to come and see us. They mostly juggled a lot back and forth, and she had to go back. She had a great team at her elementary school that really helped out and started a scholarship fund to help me and help with all of the medical expenses while I was in the hospital. Wow. Wow. What a story, though. What a beginning. That's a rough beginning. So It was definitely a rough beginning. <laughs> And your poor dad having to travel back and forth and probably uncertain where he should be at any given time. And this was in the days before cell phones, everybody. So it wasn't even like you could keep in touch while you were going back and forth from one place to the other. No, no, not at all. Wow. Well, the fact that you are an identical twin and you have this major heart defect and your sister didn't gives pause to whether or not congenital heart defects are genetic. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I've seen this before with one twin who has a serious heart defect, like hypoplastic left heart syndrome or tetralogy of Fallot, and their twin is completely unaffected. It's pretty amazing. It is, and I've taught several students, which is so weird to me that they're twins, and one was born with Down syndrome, and one is a completely normal developing twin, and it baffles me, but it really does show mm-hmm. how much can be affected by having multiple births. Well, absolutely. And how complicated the human body is. <laughs> and women giving birth that's just developing those humans inside of us, it's not all what's written in the science books, is it? 
No, it's definitely not. And my mom still has such a bond with me as she does with my sister. I think my dad and I, though, have a stronger bond because he spent more time with me in the hospital. He was the one that had to hear all the medical news and relay it to my mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. Even as infants, we may not have real memories of what happened at that time, but I think our brain knows. And I think that we do develop that sense of, for you, it was probably a great sense of security that one voice that you had been hearing while you were developing inside your mother's womb, one voice was there that was familiar. It wasn't all unfamiliar voices. And I just think that's fascinating. Well, you told me in our correspondence that you had three open heart surgeries in the first 18 months of your life. What have your parents told you about those surgeries or about your early years? What do you remember? Honestly, I don't remember too much about my early surgeries because they were just when I was so young. Mm -hmm. From what my parents have told me, my first surgery was when I was four days old. So what they decided to do being diagnosed with pulmonary atresia is to graft the pulmonary valve so that the blood could flow freely into my heart. And the first Mm -hmm. surgery went well, however... Me being so young, I aspirated some of the milk from my stomach Mm -hmm. into my lungs, and at that point, I became in critical condition. Mm -hmm. So that night, my cardiologist actually spent the entire night by my bedside just because of how nervous he was and how critical I was. And then two days after my first surgery, they had to go back in and put in a shunt to help my left ventricle because my left side of my heart was so underdeveloped. And during that surgery, my lungs started filling with fluid, so my first Christmas was actually spent in the ICU. And we still have today in my house around Christmas time, my mom still puts out the Christmas cards that the nurses had made for me, for my family while we were in ICU. How sweet is that? Oh, my goodness, and that your mother has cherished that over all of these years. Wow. That's really yeah. special. So you went through a lot. Did your left ventricle respond to the shunt? Did it start to grow? It did. My left ventricle responded, and when I was 18 months old, I had the third surgery, so that's when they decided to take the shunt out. Mm-hmm. And the surgeon also wanted to rework what he had done on the graft. And the surgery was successful. However, I had difficulty coming off of bypass. And they actually had to open me back up, put me back on bypass, and I stayed in ICU with my chest open just in case they had to go back in for more surgeries. And my mom said that was a long time, a couple weeks in the hospital. She told me I was scared of everybody that came into the room. My dad says I'm a really proactive person now because with how much I had to be pricked and poked when Mm -hmm. I was a kid, that I just became this very proactive person. But my mom said her favorite time was when we go through rides with the wagon in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And also, if you remember Teddy Ruxpin, I don't know. Oh, yeah. If you yes, and she said that was my favorite thing to do in the hospital was to ride the wagon and listen to the Teddy Ruxpin stories. Oh, that's so cute. Oh, that's so Interesting. I just had a guest on, and we were talking about that very same thing. And here you were in Atlanta, and there he was in Australia. The same thing. The only thing he really remembered from his open heart surgeries was being in the little red wagon, being pulled around in the little red wagon. So isn't that funny? That's the godsend. Every
everybody who's listening who works in a hospital, make sure you have plenty of wagons because these kids yeah. really look forward to that and they respond to that. But, oh, my gosh, Teddy Ruxpin, I haven't thought about him in years. But that was a very popular toy for a while. And how comforting to have that soft bear to snuggle with. And, yeah, it used to tell stories and sing songs, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That is yeah. so neat. So you don't really remember that, though, because you were just a baby. I mean, maybe you do remember the rides and the Teddy Ruxpin, but I imagine maybe some of those memories are from your parents telling you about it. Yes, definitely. I don't remember too much. Really, most of my memory comes from going to doctor's visits every year. That's really where a lot of my memory of having a heart condition. But my mom would always make it a really fun time for us. She would take the day off when we knew we had a cardiologist appointment, and we'd make that our little shopping trip after the doctor's appointment and make it a day with just us two. Oh, that's so neat and something very special because it sounds like you were probably in a pretty full house having you and your sister born at once. And do you have older siblings? Yes, I have an older brother who is 18 months older than me. So we definitely had the full house and lots going on. So that was kind of our special time together. That's really neat. I have a son who was born with a heart defect, too, and whenever he had his appointments, and they were every six months, I tried to make it special for him and Joey because I homeschooled my kids. And so the three of us were like three musketeers going everywhere, and I tried to make it fun, too. I think parents don't realize how stressful that can be. I mean, it's stressful for the parents, but they think kids are oblivious to it, but they're not. They pick up on that. So if you can make it fun, then it's not quite so frightening later when they know they have to go back because that's one thing. You guys have a lot of doctor's appointments. Yes. Most of the time we'd have to go annually, but it would be an all-day-long appointment, and then you never knew if you had to get scheduled for an MRI. So that was another day taking off, and Mm. so we kind of never knew. So my mom did a great job of really making it kind of like a little special time with us. That's really neat. So what do you think was the most difficult thing that you had to deal with in growing up with a congenital heart defect? I have to think one of the most difficult things was the waiting game. After Mm -hmm. I had my surgery at 18 months, we knew at some point they were going to have to replace the pulmonary valve. We just didn't know when. So it was kind of an every year thing of going to the doctor, seeing what the echo showed, and then determining if I needed more tests to see if I had surgery. My cardiologist was always like, you know, don't live in Cinderella land because this is going to happen. We just don't know when. And Mm -hmm. I can remember in fifth grade going to the doctor and the echo didn't look so great. And he was like, I think the summer is the summer we're going to have to replace your valve. And I just remember sitting in the office with him just crying because I had no idea what to expect. But luckily we ran some more additional tests and I was in such good shape that they didn't want to do it. Because of course with any kind of valve replacement, as soon as you get a new valve, the time starts ticking of when you're going to have to have it replaced again. So Mm -hmm. definitely always being cautious and knowing that this may happen. The surgery may have to happen. I think also just being born an identical twin and having that healthy twin I always kind of felt a little different, and we both played competitive sports, and knowing that I could never take a day off. If the team had a two-week break, most of the girls could go without training in that two weeks, and I knew if I had to stay up to that stamina, I had to work out during those two weeks or during all my time off. 
So that was also a little difficult, just kind of always knowing you couldn't take the break like everybody else could because my body would take longer to get back in shape than everybody else's. Wow. Well, they say after 36 hours of not exercising, you start to lose some of the tone that you have. And that's why it's so difficult for Olympic athletes to take a break Mm -hmm. for the very same reason. But wow, I'm still just even amazed that you could compete (laughs) competitively with something like soccer. That's pretty amazing. That's a very strenuous sport. My parents were always big supporters of us playing a sport and my brother and I, we were very involved in competitive soccer. My dad was gone a lot with my brother's team and my mom stayed with my team and it gave us a great foundation to live that physically fit lifestyle and I definitely Mm -hmm. do appreciate that now looking back on it. Yeah, there are so many lessons to be taught and to be learned from being in a competitive sport. I think it's amazing that you are able to, considering the pulmonary valve is what helps us to breathe. <laughs> yeah. And breathing is kind of important when you're running up and down a soccer field, and you were able to do that. That, to me, is one of the miracles that I think we've identified already, that you were able yeah. to do something like that. How old were you when you stopped competing? I actually stopped competing my senior year of high school, possibly looking into going to play in college. But my brother played in college, and when I saw how much time he dedicated to it, I wanted to have a different college experience. So that's when I decided Mm -hmm. to stop playing. Wow. You went all the way through high school. That's amazing. Well, this has been so much fun, Catherine. Don't leave yet, but we do need to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Catherine about the other miracles that she has experienced. We already talked about one, and that is her playing sports competitively despite having three open-heart surgeries and having a pulmonary valve that had issues. That's really, really quite amazing. But stay tuned, and you can hear even more of the miracles that Catherine has experienced. We'll be right back. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show, The Miracle of Giving Back, features Catherine Scavone, a congenital heart defect survivor. And we just finished talking with Catherine about her initial diagnosis and the first surgeries that she went through and what her parents were told to expect, which was pretty much unknown. And many of us have been in that situation where we just don't know what's going to happen next and we have to play the waiting game, which Catherine said was one of the more difficult things that she experienced. I completely concur with that. We went through that with my son as well for six years being told that at any time he may need surgery and that is a difficult thing to live through. But now we're going to get a chance to talk to Catherine about some miracles that she has experienced. So Catherine, you know that this season our show is all about miracles and I know as a special education teacher myself that you have probably witnessed quite a few miracles. Can you tell us about a couple? Well, I definitely think just being a special education teacher, every day is a miracle with our students. Growing up with a congenital heart defect, they really didn't know if I myself would have a learning disability or anything Mm -hmm. due to the 
all the traumas that I went through at birth. So I think that's why I really identified with special needs students. And I see miracles every day in my classroom. I have taught several students with heart defects. And when I sit down with their parents at the beginning of the year and we go through their medical conditions and we can share their story and then I myself can say I'm a survivor of having multiple heart surgeries, I think they feel at ease knowing that I'm there every day with their child and that their child is safe with me. I've had several students that were born so premature, some the size Mm -hmm. of a Coke can, and to just Mm -hmm. see them out on the playground interacting with typical peers is just a miracle in and of itself. It really is. And I think when you are a special ed teacher, and for those of our listeners who don't know, I was also a special education teacher, you have a much greater appreciation for how intricate the human body is, for all the different things that can go wrong, but more than that, for the human spirit and how these kids are so resilient and how they can overcome what seems like insurmountable obstacles. One of the joys of my life really was being a teacher of the deaf and hard of hearing and being a witness to children who really were miracles. I completely agree. Every day just seeing the little things that my students can do, whether or not they make a basket when we're in the gym or Mm -hmm. they learn a new skill and can generalize it when we go out in the community with them, all of those little strides are what I value and also their parents value as well. Oh, I'm sure. And the fact that you had pulmonary valve problems and you had problems with your left ventricle, all of that is related to pumping oxygen-rich blood out to the body. So no wonder why the doctors may have been concerned that you would have a learning disability. I know that's something that a lot of parents are concerned about even today with children who are born with congenital heart defects. Did you struggle at all in school? Really, I did not struggle in school. I definitely had my moments where classes got hard, and luckily since my mom was a teacher, she was always right on top of our schoolwork and making sure that we were understanding everything. So I graduated in the top 10% of my high school class and was able to also go on and finish my undergraduate and master's degree. Now, math was not my favorite subject, definitely had to work a little harder in it, but I definitely did not experience any of those learning disabilities that a lot of people do today. Yeah, and that in and of itself is a miracle. Yes, yes, I'd have to say so. A miracle and a blessing that you were able to do that. And it almost makes you wonder, and I didn't ask you if you were a Christian or if you feel this way, so I'm going to just jump out there. But I know with my son, I had one son, and it sounds like your mother too, who was heart healthy, and then I had a child with a heart defect. And it was a totally different experience. But I really wondered if when God gave me Alex, he also gave me a mission. And that mission was to use my education and to use my abilities to help others in the CHD world, and I never would have expected that. I didn't have any exposure to congenital heart defects. As far as I know, none of my deaf students had heart problems. If they did, it wasn't anything that was brought to my attention. So I felt like I was in a whole new world, and it sounds to me like maybe you were given this condition so that you could be there to minister to these little ones whose parents are probably terrified and here their teacher understands probably like nobody else can exactly what they're facing. Yeah, I definitely think so. And even my mom has experienced that when she was a teacher. She actually got a child who I babysat and the mom requested that my mom 
teach her son because he had a congenital heart defect, and she wanted a teacher that was familiar with that. So Russell was one of her last students in her class before she retired, and that was just a blessing that my mom could help Russell out and that also Russell's mom could feel safe knowing that he was at school with somebody who knew his heart defect. And I bet his mom feels that was a miracle, that she could have a teacher who had a child with a heart defect as well and that she could rest a little bit easier knowing that he would be watched by somebody who knows what to look for. Yes, yes. It was a great blessing in knowing that your child was safe at school. Yeah, I love that story. That's just so amazing. I can't believe how fast the time is going, Catherine. We need to take another quick commercial break. But listeners, don't leave yet because when we come back from commercial, we're going to have Catherine tell us some advice that she has to offer parents and adults with congenital heart defects. We'll be right back. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show, The Miracle of Giving Back, features Catherine Scavone, a congenital heart defect survivor. And we just finished talking with Catherine about the miracles that she has experienced and the miracles that she has witnessed in her life. And I just have loved our show so far. I've had so much fun talking to you. But in this last segment, I would love to know, first of all, if there's anything that you wanted to say that you haven't had a chance to say in the first two segments. But in addition to that, I'd love to know what advice she would have for a couple just finding out that they're about to have a child with a congenital heart defect. Well, I definitely think knowing that your child will have a congenital heart defect, it is scary. I can't even imagine. But I definitely think one of the things that my parents did was they never held me back. Even though I did have a congenital heart defect, they never said I couldn't do things. Besides maybe getting tattoos and piercings, (laughs) those are the only limits. But they involved me in sports. They made sure that I stayed physically safe and that I didn't feel any different from any other child growing up. And I definitely think that helped out. And even though there are some children that do have more medical limitations, there are so many groups now and special sporting activities that they can do mm-hmm. and that will make sure that they are not surpassing their medical limitations. And I think being involved in the heart community, when I was born 28 years ago, there was not this heart community that there is now. There are tons of us that are surviving these surgeries and that are in adulthood, and there are so many communities that parents can get involved in to know what to expect for their child. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love all of that. Absolutely. It is a different world today than it was 28 years ago, and it was not uncommon 28 years ago for parents not to know and be caught completely off guard when their baby was born blue, like what you were. Today, with the improvement in ultrasounds and the technology that they have for pregnant women, it is amazing. People are finding out very, very early whether or not their child has a heart defect, and you're right. There are so many support groups out there, especially on Facebook, there's a support group for just about any kind of heart 
this fact you can think of, in addition to broad sweeping groups like Heart Mamas or Heart Mommies on a Mission, and there are so many fun groups out there that I agree with you. Getting in touch with those groups and being a member of the community, that's really special, but also not holding your kids back. I love that advice, and I love the fact that your parents let you do what your twin did, let you do what your brother did and didn't ever hold you back. I think that's wonderful advice. Well, what about for the congenital heart defect survivors and the fact that you have chosen to give back? How important do you think that is? Yeah, I think it is so important because not only are we giving back, but we're also sharing our knowledge and creating more awareness that there are people living with congenital heart defects. Being involved in those groups or things such now as the Red Dress campaign, there's now 5K heart walks and volunteer work that we can give back and help spread the awareness and get to meet more people who were born with congenital heart defects. That's wonderful. I love that. Yes, there are so many different ways. There are heart walks and there are all kinds of events. If you want to get involved, there's a way for you to get involved. That is for certain. And I agree with you. I think it's important to give back. I think it's healthy not only for the people that you help, but I think it's healthy for the individual. I know I feel good as a mom when I can reach out and help another mom or when I can reach out and say, oh, yeah, I've seen that before. Because I think one of the biggest scares is to feel that you're so alone. I agree, and when I received this Sydney Mae Taylor scholarship, I got to meet other college-age students that were born with heart defects and share our experiences, and it was kind of like, wow, we're very similar, and now with the magic of social media, we're able to stay in contact with each other, and that's just mm-hmm. a wonderful thing that didn't occur years ago. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Catherine, we only have a minute left, but in this last minute, I would love to know the single most important piece of advice that you could give to young adults who were born with congenital heart defects as they enter adulthood, especially in light of the fact that you just recently got married and you're ready to start your married life. Yeah, I think one of the things that I have been so lucky is that I'm very open with others about my heart condition and meeting my husband, Max, he was so wonderful and accepting my condition, knowing what it meant for us in the future that things such as starting a family may not be as easy as everybody else. But just knowing that I had his support and that he would be there throughout my adulthood with my heart defect meant a lot to me. So I think being open with others and finding a doctor and an adult congenital group is so important because they know what it's like now you're an adult with a congenital heart defect, and that is a totally different ballgame than adults who have never had a heart defect before. Absolutely. Absolutely. Acquired heart defects are totally different than congenital heart defects, and finding the right doctor can make all the difference in the world. I agree 100%. That was excellent advice. Well, Catherine, can you believe our time is over already? No, we can't. It just flew by completely. It really did. This was so much fun. Thank you so much, Catherine, for coming on the show today. I really appreciate being on, and thank you very much, Anna. Well, that does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern time. And until then, please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com, and our Cafe Press Boutique. We have mugs. We have license plate covers. We have car magnets. We have all kinds of stuff. So please go and check it out. And follow our radio show on Blog Talk Radio and Spreaker. And remember, my friends, you are not alone.
thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week. 